0: for Cassandra because we don't have a full week with our missionary, so if you would like to, and if you don't have the opportunity to do now on Wednesday, you could certainly do that uh, by just designating in your check as to what you would like to support Cassandra's ministry. Well, good morning. All but one of those children are my grandkids, Man, I tell you, that's how you populate a church right there. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to John chapter 11, verse 25. Um, this was the sermon that the Lord gave me for Easter Sunday, and because of our cancellations, I kept pushing it forward. And in fact, I actually made a recording of the sermon just in case I was unable to come last week, but you were able to be here, uh, and uh, it was going to be uploaded, but since we canceled our services, we just push everything forward from our praise and worship, which was awesome. Thank you so very much for our invocation. Kim, thank you so very much for that. Um, And so today, we are celebrating what is commonly termed as Easter. Now, It's interesting if you ever do a word study on Easter. Sometimes we place it at a specific time. I know the dates kind of maneuver around a little bit, but we tend to focus on one day as that's Easter. But this morning, I want to share with you from this scripture that every day is Easter because every day we are to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to speak about that this morning. So in John chapter 11, verse 25, where is, there we go. Turn that on. In John chapter 11, verse 25, that's okay. Uh, we read, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you with open hearts and open minds, praying your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts as we hear your word, Lord, and we hear of your resurrection and how, Father God, it blesses us and calls us I just pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts this morning to draw closer to you in the understanding of your resurrection and the power there within. And for those that have never heard, for those that have never placed their faith in you, that they would see that you resurrected, you defeated death on the cross to set them free. And so, Father, we just ask your blessing to be upon this word. In Jesus' name. Like I said this morning, we're celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when you think of resurrection and you apply it to the theology of the Christian faith, it's very quickly evident that the resurrection of Christ is the centrality of the Christian faith. Without the resurrection, there's No Christian faith at all. It would just be a religion. In fact, Paul said as much in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, where he said, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and our faith is in vain. So if there's no resurrection, if it never happened, Christ would still be in the grave. And everything he said and everything he did was for nothing. In fact, absent of the resurrection, Jesus would not even have been the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one. He would have simply been a great teacher and a rabbi, as the Pharisees claimed him to be. He would have been a false prophet. He would have been a false teacher. And his claims and his teachings, would have followed him to the grave and died with him. But we know that he did rise. And it's not with just blind faith that we believe this. Because there's valid sources within the Word of God itself that tells of it. There's also secular sources that write about it. And if you read that book that we gave out, The Case for Easter, you see all the evidence within Scripture proclaiming that the resurrection of Christ was, in fact, a reality. And this gives us confidence in our faith. This gives us confidence in our walk. And this gives us confidence in our testimony that we share with others. But even beyond the biblical evidence and the historical sources that I can share with you if you'd like, we don't have time this morning, that show that Jesus Christ did, in fact, walk this earth. There's one more thing that's more powerful than all that evidence that attests to the resurrection of Christ, and that is a transformed life in Christ. You see, the resurrection of Christ is more than a moment of time that we celebrate once a year. It's more than a celebration or an observance or a a sacred day recognized by the church. It's part of our personal testimony because Christ's resurrection is our resurrection and we receive a great many blessings from it that we are to live out in this life. This morning as we observe the resurrection of Christ, I want to share with you how Christ's resurrection is your resurrection and how divinely and powerfully it influences our lives and it is to be lived out every day in this transformed life that he's given us. And the first one of these is that by way of Christ's resurrection, we are now alive with him we are now alive with him second corinthians 5:17 says this therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old is passed away behold the new has come you know when we were born we were born with a problem a big problem a life threatening problem. And that problem is sin. When sin entered into the world by way of Adam in the Garden of Eden, you know the story. Death came with it. And not to just some or a few or an elect or the really bad people. It came to us all. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22 it says, for as In Adam, all die. Now, what does this mean? Do we die physically or spiritually? The answer to that question is yes. Because of our sin, our physical bodies have been corrupted. And with that, the curse of sin, and as a result, we will experience a physical death. We will experience physical suffering in this life. We will experience things that hurt us and harm us. But we're also born spiritually dead. And why is this? Romans 5.12 gives us the answer. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and through death sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Therefore, none of us are born into a form of righteousness before God. As it is written... None is righteous. No, not one. And as a result, although we've been born physically in this life, which is celebrated, right, annually with our birthdays, and celebrated with our our, our moms and our fathers when they're first born, we have to come to the reality that we are still born spiritually because of the sin of Adam and the curse that it brought. Now, for many of this, This is a hard, for many people, this is a hard truth, right? That's not the world in which we live today. Many would describe themselves in this way at all, or even ponder theologically, or recognize that they are dead spiritually. I certainly didn't. I thought I was okay. I thought I was good to go. I wasn't that bad of a person, right? In fact, most would assess their spiritual condition, based on that standing before the Lord. Because they base it through the lens of good works. They base it through the lens of ethical living or strong morals or religious practices. That's how they properly measure their righteousness before God. And the reason why they do this is because absent of the Holy Spirit's revelation, Their ability to perceive their spiritual condition is dead. They cannot see their desperate situation. I certainly couldn't see mine. I thought I was fine until the Lord put me on my knees and revealed to me who I was as a sinner in comparison to His righteousness. And then He showed me Christ who died on the cross as we just sang for me and offered me salvation. I wish, there's only a couple in here, to include my family, and they were pretty young, who would have known me before I was saved. Last place I would have told you I'd be at 55 years old would be standing behind a pulpit, preaching the word of God. I was a cop, I was ignorant, drank too much, didn't hold to my responsibilities very well. But boy, I thought I was a good guy. I was a good troop. I did the right thing. That's how I measured it. As I read earlier, we are new creations in Christ. No, our bodies have not been renewed as that will happen later, but we are a new creation in the Spirit, as John chapter 3, verse 5 says. We have not been fixed. We have not been renewed. We have not been upgraded. It's not Tim 2.0. We have been made new. Remember, as Christ taught, new wine cannot be put into old wineskins because it will break open. So we have to be made new in Christ. But why? Why is that? Why is that necessary? Why not just add Christ to our life like many people do? And he's just a part of your life. You compartmentalize him, he's a sliver of your pie, not the whole pie. Why not just do that? Isn't that easier? The reason why it isn't is because to get the righteousness of Christ, we have to die. We have to die. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we are no longer to be enslaved by sin. You see, when I was a sinner, that's all I knew. I didn't know the ways of God. Oh, I knew the religious ways of God. But I didn't know. And so I did what I felt. That's what we do in sin. Feels good, do it. That's how I'm made. That's how you're cursed. Jesus Himself said, how a seed must die in order to bear much fruit in John's gospel. You know, He was speaking about Himself as He had to die in order to live again. But so do we. So do we. And so through Christ's resurrection, we are given a new spiritual life in Christ, but we must die as Christ did so that we can live in Him. Scripture tells us we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So that's the first blessing of the resurrection of Christ is that we are now alive in Him. The next is through Christ's resurrection, we can now live like Him, to live like Him. In 1 John 2.6, it says this, Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. One of the main themes that run through Christ's ministry is His example. Jesus spent two years with His disciples, not only to teach them the things of the kingdom of heaven, but also to show them the things of the kingdom of heaven. Numerous times, Jesus showed His disciples how to follow in His example. And the reason for this is found in Romans 8.29, where Paul writes, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that they might be the firstborn among brothers. We are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do, among other things. Now, when Paul speaks about being conformed, there are two intentions here. The first is in the present life. To be conformed in this life, we now live, and we call it progressive sanctification. Where being freed from sin, we are now called to emulate Christ in every aspect of our life. What does that mean, progressive sanctification? It means every day that we walk in the Lord, we're walking in more maturity of the Lord, and the less the tug of sin and this world has its effect on us. But it requires obedience. It requires submission. It requires to not go by the way of the flesh. And it can only be accomplished by way of the Holy Spirit. It is not something you could do on your own. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit because separate of Christ, you can do nothing. It is a Spirit's work. The second intention that Paul's talking, or Peter's talking, or Paul's talking about here is when we go home to glory before being conformed to the image and the glorified body of Christ, when we die in Christ, and when He comes for His church, we will be raised with Him and be given a glorified body. One without sin. One without illness. One without sickness. One without guilt one without depression, anxiety, questions, doubts, all will be erased. However, until that day, we follow the example of Christ. For many of you know, my father passed away, and over a week ago, or a couple of, three weeks ago, April 6th, and while I was it was the Sunday after he passed away, one of the members of the church here, I'm not going to say who, asked me, what, was you, what is the most lasting memory of your father? And my response to that person took no time at all to answer or ponder. My father was the most humble, meek, and honest man I ever knew. And due to the blizzard, I was unable to attend the funeral, but I was able to go to the viewing the day before. And while at the viewing, I visited with friends and coworkers and relatives. I'm the youngest, I'm 55. I'm the youngest Alan on that side. So all my cousins are older than me, and they still call me Timmy. But as I sat there and I listened to the testimonies of my father, of those character traits that I just mentioned, I became very proud. I've always been proud of my father, but even more so when I heard coworkers, family members, relatives. My dad was a hard worker. He was a man of integrity. Unassuming. Meek. Gentle, caring. And would do anything for you. A man who always did the right thing. I was very proud to hear those words. In fact, a priest, because my dad was Catholic, who officiated it, and we only could do it through live streaming, said, you're... Don Allen was the real deal. I couldn't agree with him more. As I pondered the example of my father on the drive home on Monday, I was thinking about this sermon, about this specific point, and I asked myself, do people see Christ's example in me? Now, obviously, I'm born again, right? I'm a Christian who has lived a dramatically changed and transformed life, and it's evident to my friends, my families, and those around me. But my question was more to the consistency in exemplifying Christ. Do I always exemplify love? Do I always exemplify grace? Do I always exemplify mercy? Do I always exemplify integrity? Do I always exemplify caring and forgiveness, service? I think we can all prove in all of those areas. You know, funny thing about being an example. In order to be an effective example, it must be consistent. And at the heart of being consistent is character. Character is who you are on the inside. It reveals who you really are when the curtains are pulled back. If your character is bad, so will your example be. Because character is only as good as what influences it. If our influences are bad, so will our character. And if our character is bad, so will our example. This is why Paul speaks about renewing the mind, putting off the old nature, not giving in to the old nature, enduring suffering, not walking in the flesh, but walking in the spirit, and being conformed to Christ because that is how we are perfected in the character of Christ in this life. Our witness, our testimony, is a reflection of the character and the example of Christ. Philippians 1.11 it says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Again, that can only happen by way of the Holy Spirit. Now, notwithstanding the obvious as to exemplify Christ in this life, I think we forget the immense importance of being an example for others. As obvious as it, it is. I think we forget that for, we are to be an example to other believers in Christ, and the example we show has a huge influence on other people. Influence we may never even know or see or measure. Numerous times, Paul speaks of himself as an example of Christ to follow in his letters. Now, was Paul saying that to be prideful? Was Paul saying that to be arrogant? Look at my following. Was Paul trying to create a little small church within Christ's church? No. He said it because he knew. There were young believers. There were unbelievers who needed an example to follow. You see, and this is an important statement. You see, we live by faith but we follow by example. We live by faith, but we follow by example. Paul knew this and understood the gravity of it. And that's why he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We are to do the same. No matter where you lie on the maturity scale in Christ, whether you're a babe in Christ or a seasoned child of God, We are to exemplify Christ as a witness and testimony, but also as an example to brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. It's one of the reasons we come together. Acts 2.42. Pray for each other, lift each other up, encourage one another, be an example. Help them when they go through a struggle, just like you went through that struggle yourself. Because that's why we go through that. One of the reasons. The primary is to draw us closer to God. The other is to help those do the same. And so through Christ's resurrection, we can now live like Him. What's the third blessing that we receive? Through Christ's resurrection, we live for Him. For Him. Scripture tells us in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Christ died on the cross for you. individually. Sometimes we, we think, oh, He cried, died for the church. The church is you. And He died for those that have yet to believe. When we come to Christ, we die, as I spoke earlier. We die to self. We die to flesh. We die to our wills and our own purpose as we now live a new life with new priorities, a new hope, and a new purpose. Let's walk through each one of those. The first one is our priorities change because now they're His priorities. Our will is now His will in that Christ now sets upon the throne of our hearts. We abdicate that throne willfully, willingly. For some, this, is, this may mean full-time ministry. Being called to the mission field, being called to preach the gospel full-time. For others, it's living a life of Christ-centered in the secular world, but being an example, as I spoke earlier, as many of you do. You work in a secular world. How else will they know Jesus Christ if Christ doesn't send us into the world to share and exemplify who He is? And when I say priorities, I mean that Christ now comes first. Christ comes first in our employments, what jobs we take. Christ comes first in where we live. Christ comes first in where we serve and worship because Christ desires to use you and place you where He needs you. Therefore, we must follow His lead. We need to be sensitive to His lead and His voice. This is hard for those who are not called into full-time ministry, but live and serve in Christ and in a secular world because we tend to add Christ to our lives, don't we? Versus placing Him in the forefront of everything that we do. Pastors and missionaries go where they feel the Lord is leading them. And yet for those that are not in full-time ministry, they tend to make decisions more based on what? Financial influences? Career opportunities? Career opportunities? Don't get me wrong, God desires for us to be purposeful. God has given us gifts, God has called you to serve where you're serving in the secular world right now. But by and large, our decisions, it sends to me, are absent of the Lord's leading, and they need to be. They need to be. I remember a young Christian one time, who took a part-time job, and he was really excited about this job, right? He needed a little extra cash to pay down his debt, and I asked him, I said, uh, you know, is this going to take you away from Sunday services? And unfortunately, he said, yeah, it will. But don't worry, I'm still going to go to Bible study. I'm still going to read the Word. I'm still going to grow. Well, he didn't. I could tell right away it was adversely affecting his growth in Christ, which was in his early stages. He was just saved, which is a very precious time to lay the foundations and for which to build on. He needed to be in the church to grow. He needed to be in the church to learn. He needed to be in the church to be encouraged. He needed to be in the church to be discipled. He needed to be in the church to be strengthened and follow mature examples in Christ. He placed the priority of a part-time job to pay down some debt that he really didn't need to do. And it adversely affected his walk. Remember what Christ said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We place a high, we place our priorities before Christ. He will lead you in a way that will bring a blessing. Secondly, we receive a new hope. Favorite word in the Bible hope. You've heard me say it before. Before I was saved, I put all my hope in me, in this world, and this world and me will disappoint. But the hope of God has never disappointed. Never and never will. Our hope is now in Christ and not in this world. He overcame the world and so do we. When our hope is in the world, our lives reflect it, don't it? If it's money, our lives will reflect that in the decisions you make in the jobs you take and what you do. If it is security, your life will reflect that. If it's success, I'm a career goal-oriented person, which there's nothing wrong with that, as long as you're being led in Christ. But some people put that before Christ and their life reflects it. Remember what the Word of God says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? I have been far more blessed in my life in Christ than I ever was prior. Prior. You have a Father that will not give you a stone for bread, He will give you blessings, richness. Earthly hope is where you place your expectation. A hope in Christ is an assurance. That's the difference. And it's based upon the promises of God and His Word, which all of His promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Earthly expectations may never come to fruition, but the assurance in Christ will always be fulfilled. You want to know if that's true? Read the track record. In living in Him, we also have a new purpose. For as the Scripture in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a magnificent plan for your life. He has wonderful things for you to do for Him that is going to give you such a purpose in life that you will not desire the things of this world. You were not saved to sit and wait for Christ's return or when He calls you home. In the military, we have a term called ROAD, retired on active duty. In the church, we could use the same acronym, but change it a little bit, resurrected on active duty. You were given the gifts for the express purpose of ministering to the saints and being a witness in the world. And you are a member of Christ's church. Along with your earthly employment, which is in and of itself a mission field, God desires to use you for kingdom work. And He has a kingdom purpose in mind for you. Are you fulfilling it? Your purpose on this earth is now a heavenly one. Not an earthly one. Many people struggle with anxiety and depression because they don't know their purpose or role in this world. In fact, I heard it said by a psychologist that having a purpose centers people and gives them direction. Before I was saved, my purpose was my family and my own devices. I couldn't see beyond my career in the military. What's going to happen? What job do I get? How am I going to support my family? And it caused great anxiety and depression at times in my life. Sometimes I have my high beams on and they really see down the road, right? When I became saved, I was given a whole new purpose in life to discover. Develop and grow. And it removed some of the major anxieties and depressions that I faced in my life because I knew he was in control. In fact, my life verse that I wear on this bracelet for many years now, and this hasn't tarnished or faded or nothing. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I have stood on that verse for over 15 years. And I wear it as a reminder He's in control. And His plan, His will is perfect. God has given each of us a purpose, and that purpose center is in Christ. It centers your life in Christ. It gives us a divine focus point from which to navigate this life. And when we are fulfilling our purpose, there is nothing more rewarding and gratifying and satisfying. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the word of the the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, I think when we are called to glory, I don't have any biblical support of this, but I wonder if he's not going to reveal all of the worthless things that we invested our time in that could have been used to progress the kingdom of heaven. I think we'll be shocked by that. The fourth blessing that we receive by the resurrection of Christ is that we will live for Him forever. We will live for, with Him forever. Finally, through Christ's resurrection, we will live for Him, not only in this life, but forevermore all eternity. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ's resurrection validated and provided a great many things. And one of those things is that He defeated death on the cross and was resurrected. As I stated in my introduction, if Christ had not been resurrected and was found to be in the tomb, there is no kingdom of heaven. There is no eternal inheritance as Kim prayed about this morning out of 1 Peter. There is no hope. There is no risen Savior. It's all for nothing. But when Mary's, the two Marys, went to the tomb and Peter and John had a foot race and went to the tomb, what did they find? A rotting corpse? No. They found linen folded on either side of where Christ was laid. And soon after that, Jesus appeared to them in person, in person, validating what He said and that He would rise again. Jesus defeated death and now stands victorious, sitting at the right hand of the Father in all of His glory. And this resurrection was just not a footnote in the Gospels. Something to study. It's the centrality of the Christian faith. Yes, we celebrate and observe the Lord's birth at Christmas time, but the celebration of the resurrection of Christ has direct personal connections because Christ defeated death. And because he did, we will forever live with him if we place our faith in him. You know, a death of a loved one really brings in the reality of eternal existence. And you ponder that. And this morning we covered: blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted by God. Eternity is forever. And if we are absent of Christ, it's not going to be just a bad day, it's going to be a bad eternity. but our end. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Our end is not the grave. Our end is not dust. Our end is not annihilation, as some people believe the state of non-existence. Our end is not the ceasing to exist. Our end is eternal. And it depends upon where you go by virtue of where you place your faith in. In Christ, for an eternal life, or in yourself or this world, and an eternity separated from the only person who truly loved you. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. I'm standing up here with back pain right now, and I'm thinking, whoa, what a glorified body, and I won't have that. You won't have that. You will probably be surprised when you get to heaven. Man, did you look at this here, huh? Look what the Lord fashioned in me. Glorified body. Can't even imagine, as a song would say. No more sickness. No more cancer. I hate that word. No more sorrow. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. What an encouraging verse. What an encouraging verse. I do not know about you, but this verse brings me, again, that great hope. I understand no one likes suffering But when eternal life awaits, having put your faith in Christ, a great expectation accompanies it. That the suffering allowing to be on us today, we can endure it. We're given strength to push through it. And I have known many saints who have went on to glory, who suffered. And you can see the joy in their hearts, even in the midst of their suffering, because they know in whom they believe. that he's faithful to commit him. but I've also seen people die without Christ. There is no expectation. there is no joy. And it's a sad and tragic thing, especially trying to explain that to family. I remember my uncle died, and we were at a family reunion, and my aunt was talking to my mom at a table. Being a man of God, they were talking about God, so I kind of leaned in a little closer just to hear. And my aunt asked my wife, my mom, I'm getting them all mixed up today. Where's Kenny? My uncle. And my mom looked at my aunt and said, I don't know. That's without hope. What I'd love to have heard, and I don't know Kenny's heart, I don't know, but I trust that God's judgment is perfect and righteous. He's a merciful God. But I don't know his heart. But wouldn't it have been great to hear he is with the Lord, now glorifying God and praising Him for all eternity? Wouldn't that be great? That's my prayer for every single one of you. It should be our prayer for every single person we know who doesn't know Christ because eternity is forever. In fact, next week I'm going to be preaching out of 1 Peter chapter 3 and we're going to be talking about a little bit about what happens after you die. So please stay tuned for that. So this morning we explored the resurrection. So well, I don't have my slides up there. Maybe I could go back one. Or maybe not. But this morning, we explored the resurrection of Christ and the many blessings we receive from it. For by way of Christ's resurrection, we have a new life that is to be lived for Christ while we sojourn this world. That means travel throughout this world that God has called us to live in. We have new sets of priorities. We have a new hope. We have a new purpose that centers us in Christ in His ministry. And one day, when this life on this earth has finished its course, we will be called home by a loving and gracious Father. And we will receive that internal inheritance that Kim spoke about this morning. And it's all because of Christ's resurrection. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. In fact, we should celebrate it every day. Because every day it's the reality of who we are in Christ and the blessings that we've received. It's the centrality of our faith. It's the centrality of our life in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, sometimes Your Word is a hard word, but we're always thankful that it's truth. And Lord, as we explored Your Word as it related to Your resurrection, we are so thankful that it is our resurrection as well, that You've given us the power through the Holy Spirit to live a life for You. Father, I just pray for those that have been in Christ and feel a little bit off-center, I pray that, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would refocus them on being centered in Christ and prioritize their life accordingly. And Father, for those who have wandered from the faith, Father, I pray that you would speak to their hearts now this question, what if? What if everything that Pastor Tim just spoke about is true? Where is my eternal destination? Am I living for Him? And for those, Father, that have never heard Your Word, never heard it explained, and Father, there's a longing in their heart, but they don't really define what that really is, I pray that You would reveal Yourself to them in the name of Jesus by way of Your Holy Spirit, and that You would woo them unto Yourself and reveal Your righteousness and their need for a Savior. I pray this in Jesus' name. Now this morning...